For those of you watching and listening this morning, I want to thank you for taking the time and, 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 and uh, spending it with us as I share this message in Luke chapter 7, as we finish off here, this chapter. And if you've been with us and you've been hearing these messages, um, you know that this chapter, chapter 7, um, we've been seeing Jesus display his heart of compassion towards, well, we've already seen three individuals. We've seen him show his heart of compassion towards a centurion whose uh, servant was about to die. He showed his heart of compassion towards a widow's son, her one who had died and who he raised from the dead. And then he showed his heart of compassion to John the Baptist, who was having doubts in his heart, in his mind, um, about if Jesus really was the one. And he ministers to him. Uh, he shares with him. He encourages him, reinforces uh, the truth about who he is. And, and then he, I guess, he, yeah, he talks a little more about him toward, to the Pharisees. Uh, and so this week, we're going to see him once more show his heart of compassion towards a fourth and final individual here in this chapter. And again, it's another beautiful story, and you'll be seeing uh, several, uh, several applications here with, with this last section of chapter 7. So before we, like we normally do, before we get into God's word, let's Ask the Lord to, to speak to us powerfully this morning. Lord, um, what an amazing time of worship. And uh, we are so thankful that we're, we've been given that opportunity, Lord. That we can just expose our heart and lay our heart bare before you. And just give it all to you. Or out of the busyness and craziness of life, we sometimes tend to forget who you are and what you've done. We are amazed by your glory. We are astonished by your being in your presence. And we are thankful for, for that that you've allowed us to do that. And so now we dedicate this next time again to you, Lord. Open our hearts, our ears, our minds to receive your word this morning. Remove all distractions, Lord, and, and, and speak to us powerfully now, Lord. Use me to speak your truth. And convict where needs to be where you need to convict, Lord, and, and admonish and encourage, Lord, where they, those areas need to be, Lord. Best is next time, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, and we're going to, again, this, e this morning, we're going to be closing out this chapter. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. The Word of God says, then one of the Pharisees invited him, him to eat with him. 
he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in, in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to, him, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She is a sinner. Now, before I break down and explain these verses that we just read, we need to keep in mind that Jesus had just finished scolding the Pharisees for their stubborn refusal to acknowledge and accept the ministries of both John the Baptist and of his own, of Jesus. Well, it appears that one of these Pharisees, whom we later find out is, his name is Simon, heard this but still wanted to do something, uh, wanted to invite Jesus over to his house. He wanted to invite him over to personally examine him. So, again, he invited him over to his house to eat. Now, there may, be, there may have been three possible reasons he did this. He requested Jesus to come. It could be that he wanted to find out if Jesus would actually accept a dinner invitation from, so, from someone other than tax collectors and sinners. Perhaps he wanted to personally see if Jesus' attitude was the same in private as it was in public. Or just maybe his motives were actually sincere and all he wanted was to have an honest conversation and learn more about Jesus. Whatever the case may have been, the Lord wasn't going to turn down an opportunity to share the gospel. So he gladly accepted the invitation. And when it was time to eat, he assumed the normal position of lying beside a low table, propped on his arms, with his feet pointed back away from the table. There are some people out there wondering if it's okay, if, if it's allowable, especially, again, new believers, if it's okay to break bread with people that you may not theologically agree with, that you may not theologically see eye to eye with. And this could be maybe Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, um, even Muslims, um, Buddhists. Should Christians break bread? Should a Christian accept an invitation to eat at their home? Now, Jesus here shows us that, yes, you can. However, you must be wise about it. Jesus didn't go there to start a fight, and neither was he there to be a punching bag. He went as a guest. And as far as we know, 
He was cordial, he was friendly, he was polite. He was everything that a good guest would, would be in a home that wasn't his own. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 says this. We're told to act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Our Lord, when he went to someone's home, whether it was one of the Pharisees here, or whether it was a tax collector, or it was a house full of sinners, he was always aware of the company he was with and was mindful that people were going to be closely paying attention to him, paying attention to everything that he said and everything that he did. Likewise, we too must be careful about how we conduct ourselves around non-believers, especially, again, if we are invited as guests to someone else's house that maybe is from a different faith than us. Mind your P's and Q's. Know who you are in Christ. Know who Christ called you to be, that you are, you're a child of God, that you are uh, his ambassador. You are representing him. Never forget, again, that you are a living testimony of how powerful the gospel of Jesus Christ is. You were transformed when you accepted and believed the gospel. And I'll get, talk about it more a little bit later, but um, have them see. Show them the beauty of the gospel, and if not by words and by your actions. And again, I'm, I'm, I know I'm talking about going over to, to, to someone else's house, but this could be it in your workplaces, this could be in your schools, wherever you may be that, uh, that other uh, non-believers are there or other people from different faiths are there. So if you're invited, sure, you have the freedom to go. You're more than welcome to go. But again, be wise about it. Use that time as, as an opportune time to, 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 pre, to just share the gospel again um, by being an, exa an example of who Jesus is. You see, you never know there, in that place, where you're at, God could use you to bring someone to a saving faith. Well, just then, as he's chilling out, relaxing there at that dinner, an uninvited guest also appeared in Simon's house, a local woman who was known, only known as a sinner, now, some have suggested that this unnamed woman was probably a prostitute or was regularly involved in unethical practices. Others have also suggested that it may have been Mary Magdalene. But if you look closely at all the other Gospels, um, it's not really clear that it was her. Now, if we 
Now, we are told in John chapter 12, verse 3, that um, Mary of Bethany also anointed Jesus' feet with oil, but that was a separate incident. All we know was that she was a sinner who heard Jesus preach, had repented, and now was seeking him out to honor him. She brought with her an expensive perfume and an expensive alabaster jar. So moving to where Jesus was, she stood behind him at his feet and she began to cry. She began to weep. Now Luke doesn't, Luke doesn't specifically tell us why she was weeping. But I'll tell you what, if I was there, if it were me standing behind Jesus, and I realized and understood that he forgave me of all my sins, I would be weeping too. I would be crying my eyes out that a sinful person like myself, with all my flaws, all my mistakes, all the horrible things that I've done or that I did in my past have been forgiven. And so I hope that you can understand why she was crying, why she was in that state. While, while she was there in that spot, she began where, where, where Jesus was. She, be, she stood there at Jesus' feet and began to pour her tears, uh, pour his, or she began to um, weep over his feet with her tears, wash his feet with, with her tears. And then she used her hair to dry his feet. Now, all the while, all, while she was doing this, she was kissing them and anointing them with that perfume that she had in that alabaster jar, that expensive perfume that she brought with her. By doing all this, she was showing him her sincere gratitude, her devotion, her reverence, and her care. Well, if no one had noticed what she was doing, if probably they weren't paying attention to anything that was going on in the background, but if they hadn't noticed before, the strong smell of that perfume definitely would have grabbed their attention. So now, all of a sudden, all eyes in that room on her. They know who she is. They know what she's done. They know the kind of reputation that she has. And they're all on her. And I'm sure Simon was wondering, how did you get in my house? Who let you in? But more importantly, she wondered, how would Jesus react? How would he react? Would he react the same way as these men? How would he react for the affection that he was showing, that she was showing him? For many believers, 
one of the most difficult or challenging obstacles to overcome is being known for who you once were and not who you are now. This is especially true if you were just a horrible person before you came to, to Christ. If you did a lot of terrible and horrible things. You see, here's the thing. No matter how sincere that you are now about being a born-again Christian, that you are a new person, some will just look at you and will just see that old person that you were. They will never, they, they will just keep seeing you as that horrible person, as that sinner. That's just their, that, that mindset, unless God does something, you know, um, amazing in their life, powerful in their life, no matter what you do, no matter how well you live now and that you've forsaken all kinds of things, or you've given them up, they're still going to see you with doubt, they're still going to see you, they're still going to have, they're still going to scrutinize you, and they're going to see you still as that sinner, as that person that was involved with them in those behaviors that, in those horrible behaviors. And really the truth is, that may always be the case. That may never change. Now, the only way to overcome this challenge is by constantly, just constantly, regularly remind yourself that you're not who they think you are. You are who God says that you are. Now, there are a lot of Bible verses out there here, here, in, uh, here in Scripture but that, that, that say that, that explain that, explain who you are in Christ. But I want to share one that sticks out to me the most, and it's in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And there it says, See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, or God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Christians, brothers and sisters, we are God's children now. The moment you surrender your life to him, the moment you open the door to your hearts to Jesus Christ, the moment you became a born-again Christian, the Holy Spirit made his home in you. And you became his children. You've been justified. You've been redeemed. You're no longer a slave to sin. Now you're a slave to Christ. You're his. And again, that is a beautiful truth. A truth that you can hold on to when all things, when things aren't going, when things are just going horrible in life. It's a beautiful truth that 
you can always hold on to when life brings unexpected, unexpected change. And it's a beautiful truth that you can hold on to when old friends and family members, they only see you as that person you once were. That person that just made life miserable for them. You are a child of God, and never forget that. That is the truth. Again, whatever Simon's motives were in inviting Jesus to dinner, verse 39 gives us a glimpse of what really was in his heart. When they saw this woman, I'm sure all of them were just flabbergasted. They were like, what the, the heck is this woman doing here? As Simon, we're told that Simon made three observations about the Lord. Not about the woman, but about the Lord. First, if Jesus, he, he, he thought to, he told himself, if Jesus were really a prophet, then he'd know, he must know who this woman is. He must know who she is. Second, if he knew who she was, then he would have to know what kind of woman she, what kind of woman she was. She was a sinner. And third, if Jesus knew who she was and what kind of person uh, and what kind of person she was, then he wouldn't have let her touch him. He would have pushed her away and told her, probably told her to get out of here, get out of my sight, don't touch me. But that wasn't his reaction. That what he, he just, he allowed her just to do her thing. He didn't object. He didn't say, not that we know him, he didn't say anything to her while she was doing it. He was just there doing it, his thing while she was crying at his feet, washing his feet with his, her tears, drying them with her hair, kissing his feet softly, and anointing his feet with oil. Well, so how did Jesus respond to Simon's criticism? Well, let's continue reading here and finish off this chapter. Picking up in verse 40. Luke chapter 7, verse 40. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii, and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your, your house. You gave me no water for my feet, 
but she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no, no kiss, but she has since stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I will tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, it seems as though Jesus perceived what Simon had said to himself in verse 39, because right after he said that, he tells him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Yeah, you were saying something to yourself, but now I have something to say to you. He then gives the Pharisee a three-part a three reply to what he had just said. First, if he gives him a short parable about a creditor and two debtors. One of those two debtors owed 500 denarii and the other one owed 50. However, both of them weren't able to pay back that loan. They weren't able to pay back their debt. Now, in case you were wondering what a denarii is, a denarius was a typical agricultural, was what a typical agricultural worker would earn for an entire day's wage. Now, again, the numbers are going to vary, but it's basically a day's wage. So you can tell that this wasn't pocket change. This wasn't a small amount. This was, we're talking about thousands of dollars. This was a huge amount. This is a lot of money. And they weren't able to pay it back. Nevertheless, rather than seeing that they couldn't pay it back, and rather than being harsh with them and demanding that they pay it back or else, the banker graciously wiped the debt off their financial record, completely clean, wiped it out, no more debt. They no longer had a negative balance on their account. No more sleepless nights. No more working late hours. No more worrying if they should pay this bill or buy food. No more worrying about that debt. All gone. Completely wiped out. Anyways, as I was saying, Jesus then asked Simon the Pharisee a simple question. Of those two individuals, of those two debtors, which of them will love him more? 
And with a bit of hesitation, Simon responds, I suppose the one who forgave more. That is, the one who owed 500 denarii. Now, the Lord didn't hesitate to acknowledge that he had judged correctly. The point of this parable is simple. A person who is forgiven, who is forgiven more, appreciates it more. Now this story, again, has nothing to do with the amount of sin in a person's life. But the awareness of that sin in his heart. How much sin must a person commit to be a sinner? Have you ever wondered that question? How much sin does a person need to commit to be a sinner? Well, in case you didn't notice, the truth is just one. Just one sin. And it can be as simple as a lie, a little white lie. That makes you a sinner. You see, Jesus was using this story to point out to Simon and the woman, and that the woman were both sinners, that they were both sinners. You see, Simon was guilty of sins of the spirit, especially pride, while the woman was guilty of the sin of the flesh. Her sins were known. They were out in the open. Everyone knew about them. While Simon's were hidden to everyone except God. And both of them were bankrupt and could not pay their debt to God. They owed a lot. Again, one was a public debt. It was well known. And one was secretly hidden. Both of them owed a lot, great sinners. The bottom line was that Simon was just as spiritually bankrupt as the woman. The thing is, he didn't realize it. He didn't see it. He didn't want to accept it. He didn't want to see that he was a sinner. He just saw that he was, he had this title. He had this authority. And for him, that made him right with God. He refused to see that there was anything wrong with him. I want you to take a minute to think of who you were before you became a Christian. For some of you, that probably was a long, long time ago. For others, it was probably more recent than that. Again, think, it doesn't matter if you grew up in the church or not. My question is, how much did he forgive you? How much did Christ forgive you for your sins? Was it a lot? Was it a lot like me? Or do you think he just didn't have to forgive much, that you were okay? Yeah, a few minor infractions here and there, that nothing big, nothing major. Well, if you believe that, then you're, 
you're close to having the similar mind, or close to having the same mindset as this Pharisee. But if you actually believe, if you actually know, and are honest with yourself, and can look back and say, man, I did a lot of messed up things, then yeah, he has forgiven you much. He forgave you. He forgave me a lot. So if you can honestly say that there was a lot of things that he forgave you for, then let me ask you also this question. Is your love for him just as intense? Is your love for the Lord Jesus Christ, is it, is it a, an intense fire, that same fire that, that burned away all those sins? Are you in love with him? Now, after explaining this, after explaining this parable or sharing this parable, the Lord then gives them the second part of his response by turning the tables on Simon. He looked to the woman, and as he's looking at her, he's having a conversation. He's basically talking to Simon. And... Uh, this woman again that she that he labeled as a sinner, he tells her, um, he, te he tells him that from the moment he entered his house, the woman had lavished affection, lavished her affection on him. But not only that, but she was probably she had probably strained all her resources to purchase that expensive perfume to pour over his feet. Simon, the Pharisee, by contrast, had given him, if anything, a very cool, cold reception. He didn't even bother with the usual courtesies that was typically given to a special guest. Courtesies such as washing the guest's feet, kissing his cheek, and giving him oil for his head. So after pointing this out to him, who do you think came out looking like a better person? Simon or this woman, again, just known as a sinner? It's here that Jesus makes his point in the final part of his response. He explained to him that the reason she, didn't, she did what she did was because she had the consciousness of having been forgiven much. In other words, she was forgiven because of her great love. She wasn't forgiven because of her great love, but rather her great love was evidence that she had been forgiven. This was probably done in private again. She probably did this while he was, on one of those occasions while he was preaching out in the open. But now, by doing this, she was now doing it publicly. She was publicly displaying what she believed. Simon, on the other hand, didn't feel he had, or he had been a great sinner at all. So Jesus had these final, word, these final words for him. But the one who is forgiven little, loves little. Can you see that mic drop? You just see, he just says that and just, that's it. That's all he says. Another mic drop moment. Although it doesn't say, I'm certain, 
Simon completely understood what he meant. But he wasn't done. Jesus wasn't done because he now had something to say to the woman. As he's looking at her, he tells her, get this, the most beautiful words someone can say to a human being. The most beautiful words that God can tell any human being. Your sins are forgiven. Do you know what that means? Do you know how great that those words are? Do you understand the weight of those words? Your sins are forgiven. Who else can do that but God? There are two errors we must avoid as we interpret these words of Jesus. First, we mustn't conclude that this woman was saved by her tears and her gift of that perfume. Jesus made it clear that it was her faith alone that saved her. For no amount of good works can pay for salvation. Nor should we think that lost sinners are saved by love. Either God's love for them or their love for God. Yes, God loves the whole world. We're told that in John 3.16. Yet, the whole world isn't saved. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Ladies and gentlemen, grace is love that pays a price. And that price was the death of the Son of God on the cross. Jesus didn't reject, didn't reject either the woman's fears or her gift of ointment because her works were evidence of her faith. James chapter 2 tells us that faith without works is dead. However, this doesn't mean that we're, that we're saved by faith plus works. No, it doesn't mean that at all. We're saved by faith, which leads to works. This anonymous woman illustrates the truth of Galatians 6.6. 6. What matters is faith working through love. That's what matters, faith working through love. So once again, in no way is Jesus here suggesting that she'd earned her forgiveness by her actions. On the contrary, her actions were the loving evidence that she'd been forgiven. Now, when he had said that, when he had said that, the other guest at that party gasped with shock. How can anyone forgive sins? That was God's job. Who did Jesus think that he was? Well, Jesus ignored them and kept his focus on the woman. 
He kept her, his focus on her need. And then he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus, the Savior's call um, for faith found a person right for the call. This was not a disciple of John the Baptist, nor was she a religious leader in Israel, nor was she a pious individual studying the Pharisees' decision, seeking to obey their law. This was a woman, a sinner, and an outcast. This was a woman who was kissing the feet of Jesus. Kisses from a sinner. Now, back in verse 36, Jesus had said that wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Well, here with this woman, we have a perfect example of what that means and what that looks like. The least of these had become greater than any of those well-renowned, righteous religious leaders of that day. This story shows us that only those who realize they're sinners and in need of a savior will answer the call of faith. Sadly though, this story also shows us that, that uh, the will of, of a self-righteous person, those who are self-righteous, who believe they're self-righteous, will fail to see their need of a savior. As I close here now, let me ask you, do you know and understand your need for a savior? Do you see that you've blown it? Do you see that no one by their own works are justified before God? We've all blown it. But here's the thing. Those of us that know Christ, those of us who believe in Christ, believe that he died to forgive us of our sins. And if you're at that place today, if you're at that place right now where you understand your situation, you know your need for a savior, you, you've heard the message, and now the Lord is just calling you to act. Will you respond? Will you take that step of faith and believe in him who died on the cross for your sins. Again, there may be a lot of you out there who think, you know what, I've done too many horrible things. I've totally blown it. Lost my career. My kids hate me. My marriage is in shambles. I've totally wrecked my life. Let me tell you, I've been there. Those of you who don't know, I almost was on the verge of losing my marriage. Had I kept going in the direction that I was going in, I would have lost it all. 
And I was ready to. I didn't care anymore. For me, the stuff that I was doing was more important than my family. That's how bad my sin had got. And one day, I was lying there and I was thinking, looking at the ceiling of the room I was staying in. I started asking questions. And the Lord reminded me, he spoke to me in his own way and said, are you ready to come back? And I don't want to get uh, this is a long story about what happened, but uh, and hopefully I'll be able to share more. Those of you who haven't heard it, but I had two choices to make. One was just to trust in the Lord again, not knowing where it was going to take me, what was going to happen, or the other one was continuing my stubborn ways. In the end. I chose to follow the Lord. Again, there was no promises. There was no clear indication that my marriage was going to be saved, that I was going to get my job back, or that I was my children were going to love me. There was no... I didn't know that. It was all up in the air. But what I did know was that I needed a Savior. I needed Jesus to change me. I needed to come back home. I had wandered away. I wandered so far away from him that I was having a hard time just seeing how I was going to make my way back. But he showed me, he promised me that as long as I took one step at a time, he would watch over me. He would he would do what is necessary for my best interest. He, he knew what my best interests were. And I just had to trust him, and I did. So, again, if you're at that place where you, you understand, you realize, I need a Savior, come to him. Don't hesitate any longer. He's calling you. He wants to make his home with you and he wants to show you his love. So if that's you, wherever you are, close your eyes and bow your head and pray this with all sincerity, with all your heart. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for blowing it. Forgive me for messing up. I ask that you beat me now, Lord. I come before you at the cross and lay my sins before you. I believe in you. I trust in you. Lord, wash away my sins. Make me clean. Forgive me of all that debt. And Lord, I, I believe that you, you have and you are and you
and I'm so thankful for that. Pour your spirit upon my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I may walk with you, so I may know you, so I may see the world according to, to the way you see it, Lord. Change me. Again, thank you for what you've done. God, thank you for sending Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.